Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me make a simple point off the top of the show that in the new world in which we're about to live when it comes to college football, particularly right here in the SEC, not every coach in the sport is cut out for this. What is it the kids say? Some people just don't want that smoke. I think there are some coaches who might not particularly want the smoke that's on its way, if you'll allow me to say it that way, in the new look SEC where I don't care how you slice it, adding in an Oklahoma and a Texas uh, to the what we assume is the westernmost version of the sec whether it's pods or you know subdivisions or you know full-on division whatever else that's going to slide you know the auburns the uh, the alabama's teams like that a little more towards the eastern part of this conference no matter how you subdivide this everybody's schedule stands to get a little bit more difficult because you've added two pretty tough teams and listen i like taking shots at texas uh, i like taking shots at oklahoma but the fact of the matter is you know texas won a you know national championship kind of in this 21st century oklahoma has been a playoff team many times they've also won a national champion in the 21st century they've all got heisman trophies i mean these are <laughs> these are not doormat programs even if someone like me a rabid partisan likes taking jabs at them every now and then these are still programs that are that are tough outs on you know a, 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 any given saturday type basis so the sec schedule is now going to be tougher and i said before uh that's tough for some programs to deal with i mean i can remember dan mullen florida coach for instance remember a couple of years ago when he was facing some questions of hey are you guys going to upgrade your non-conference schedule you guys going to go play more of these big power five non-conference home and home type things and mullen kind of did that sort of goofy shrug the way that he does and say we already play florida state the kind of coach who looks at his schedule and say our schedule's tough because we're already playing florida state a team that scuffled just to even get a winning record for most of the last five years that's the kind of coach who i wonder how much is he going to thrive in a league in which on any given Saturday you're now playing a team that could beat you? I don't think Georgia fans, though, when it comes to Kirby Smart, have as much to worry about on that. And I do think this really matters. I'm going to try to lay out the reasons why and kind of you know back up some proof to support my point here for a moment. One of the reasons why we can say with certainty that Kirby Smart is not going to be scared of the upcoming SEC schedules that Georgia's about to have to play is because most of these teams, and our buddy Connor Riley wrote about this at DogNation.com this morning, most of these teams Georgia was already playing in the non-conference anyway they were going to Norman in 2023 had a comeback game a few years after that going to Austin Texas to play uh, Texas this was on top of the SEC schedule that Georgia was already playing so we kind of know that everything was sort of fine and good with Georgia when it comes to playing these tough games here's the other thing that we know and when you look at the seasoning open game against Clemson, this is kind of a one-off deal. There are some other scheduled games between Georgia and Clemson in the future, but this is one of those things that a couple of years ago, the powers that be at both schools and in Charlotte there with the you know folks who kind of run you know the stuff for the stadium there said, hey, what if we got these two teams together? And Georgia would have had every right, and frankly, to a certain extent, Clemson would have too, but Georgia would have had every right to say, no, we're already playing an SEC schedule. We don't need a week one game against Clemson. We'll just go out and play you know somebody else and you know there was no uh, obvious obligation to play this game but Kirby Smart leapt at the chance to do so and he has spent a good portion of the offseason talking about why let me go back to Paul Feinbaum's show from a month or so ago when Kirby made a visit there making it very clear that the Clemson game is something that he very much enjoys and the mindset that you take into Clemson obviously also translates to the mindset you might take for the new look SEC here as well this is Kirby Smart 
you know, it's a rivalry game, and you go pull your fan base, which is really the most important thing, and you look at your alumni base and you look at your financial supporters, you're saying, what do you guys want? And to a T, they want to see these kind of games. You know, the one benefit we found last year was playing the conference games only that was so important to the fans. They love those games. And uh, to go out and get a Clemson, which, you know, most of our uh, financial supporters and our alumni base, that's a game they grew up watching. They want that game. They want that game year in and year out. And that's probably the same way for Clemson. I think Dabo would tell you the same thing. It's a great opportunity to go out and play a really good program and open your season that way. So obviously the Clemson part of that, the specific, you know, history with Georgia matters. But the fact that Kirby Smart acknowledges that our fans want these kinds of games, not just regional rivals against, you know, teams that I grew up watching Georgia play, but teams who are good enough to beat you. I mean, can we just say this? Does it need to be said? I'll say it out loud anyway, that a win is more valuable when it comes against a team that could beat you, right? I mean, can we all agree with that, that, that uh, you know, not all wins in college football are created equal when you're playing a team that, that you know, can go out there and beat you? If you get a win in that game, that win kind of means a little bit more and that's kind of the subtext what Kirby Smart's saying there our fans want to see us play a game where something's at stake acknowledging that he thought that the all SEC schedule from a year ago is actually a good thing and a step forward for the sport and so that to me is a mindset that would serve Smart well in the upcoming 16 team version of the SEC we're about to have and by the way Smart talked more about that game against Clemson at SEC media days last week once again uh, a very strong reminder of how Smart is also likely to approach the upcoming 16 team SEC once it finally does become official Kirby again. I think the first game can be what you want it to be you can use it as a springboard, you can use it as a learning experience. You know, the outcome's probably going to dictate how you use that game. But neither team will be in the playoffs or out of the playoffs based on the outcome of the game. It's a lot more important what you do and how you manage the success from that game or the failure from that game. So I think that's interesting that Smart says, listen, you know, you're going to have to move on from this game, whether it's win or a loss. And in a year like 2021, I think that Georgia Clemson game has a good deal of importance for the program. But in the future of the SEC, once you go to 16 teams there, it's going to be a little bit more like the NFL, right? Where, I mean, they play longer schedules than college does, but, you know, every NFL team, including most Super Bowl champions, except the 72 Dolphins, suffer losses at some point in time. And the best teams have to figure out a way to bounce back from those losses. In the SEC in the future, and this is going to be the kind of thing that those of us who are fans or media that talks about this or whatever else, we're all going to have to recalibrate our mindset after that of, in a league like this, where it's very possible that Alabama and Auburn are now in the SEC East and the SEC West includes LSU and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and Texas, that everybody's going to be losing games. Nobody's going undefeated, likely, in a in a schedule like that. And how you bounce back from that really matters. And that's one of the things that, even though I'm not really for the 16-team SEC, at least could make it interesting the ways in which teams are challenged in a way they haven't really been before. And I'll say one more point about this, and I'll move on to something different. You know, if you think about this for a moment, there was some chatter not too long ago about, hey, maybe Texas will just go independent. And sometimes I think about that from the Georgia standpoint of not that I would ever want Georgia to, but if Georgia really wanted to be an independent team, not playing the SEC, they've got enough cachet to probably do it. Proximity to Atlanta, gigantic fan base. Georgia's already a pretty big state. Certainly, you know, you know, east of the Mississippi, you know, one of the bigger geographic states you have. And, you know, Georgia's kind of got a lot going for that if it really wanted to take a spin and see what kind of market there was for its own independence, you could probably do that. And Notre Dame has made the college football playoff twice. 
last year, I guess, was an ACC team. But, you know, in, in 2018, they make the playoff as an independent team there as well. I mean, when you can pick your own schedule, all of a sudden it's a lot easier to win some of those games that you play. But here's the thing I'm fairly confident in assuming. But even if Georgia could do that, even if, you know, uh, uh, you know, Georgia had the ability to do that, I don't think Georgia fans would want to. I don't think Georgia fans would want to exit the SEC, play the kind of independent style schedule a Notre Dame plays, make the college football playoff because of that, and then proclaim some sort of hollow victory on the basis of the schedule that you played. I think if you poll Georgia fans to a man or to a woman, I think for the most part they would say, we want the grind. We want to go in the SEC. We want to run that gauntlet and come out on the other side. And the good news is I think Georgia fans have a coach that reflects that same feeling, which is, I think, an important thing to remember. Let me shift gears and talk about something different now for a moment. Today could be the day that the SEC, probably likely will be, the day the SEC gives full approval to Texas and Oklahoma joining the league, Texas A&M included, and now kind of on board with this, which a lot of folks kind of assume they eventually would be. And as I said earlier this week, as fascinating as this news is, rapid change, massive change coming to the SEC, it's actually pretty fascinating to me how quickly very respected voices have now moved on to the next thing, whatever the next thing's going to be, assuming that Texas and Oklahoma, as much of a seismic shift as it is for college athletics, college football in particular, is only the first of a series of moves that are about to come. Let me give you an example of this from a guy that you like and I like as well. Former Georgia great David Pollock, now an analyst for ESPN, obviously one of the pivotal members of the college game day crew, but was on College Football Live this week saying that when he looks at what's next for the SEC, he's a team, he, he sees a team out there that makes a lot of sense for the league, and maybe this team, a lot of sense for uh, the SEC there as well. This is very interesting from Pollock from ESPN this week. Take a listen to this. ACC, what do you do? You're not in a position of power. You, got, you don't have a huge league that's everybody's looking to get you know to get a bunch of members of so I, I think that acc it's like clemson please don't leave me bro like stay as long as you can and then maybe maybe bring a spot for me if i need to but i don't see how rod it doesn't make the most sense for them to plug into the sec they're right there in the south rod they're right there in the powerhouse they're, they're recruiting just fine against everybody else my god it just it seems to make a lot of sense that clemson would join the sec so the rod that Pollock is talking to there is Rod Gilmore, another ESPN analyst. And the point that I made yesterday afternoon on SEC Country Live about that audio clip is this is the way that people have talked in, at tailgates forever. If you're sitting at the bar in a sports you know, joint watching the game, this is the way that college football fans in the comfort of their own homes or tailgates or living rooms or bars, wherever else – this is the way that folks talk about college football. Pie is the sky. Recreate the sport however you want to. How would you choose to do it? Isn't it amazing that the conversation on television now by the most respected voices in the sport essentially is the same way? That there's no speculation that isn't so ludicrous and it can't at least be considered? And if you don't believe me on this... Listen to the subject of what David Pollock was just addressing. The Clemson program, the lead man there, Dabo Sweeney, he was uh, encountered by some reporters here this week doing, I guess, one of those like rubber chicken type deals. Uh, and in the midst of taking some questions from reporters, acknowledged that he also sees big change coming. Now, he didn't outright say that Clemson's going to the SEC eventually, but the idea that Texas and Oklahoma to this league isn't the last step in all this, that's something that Dabo seems to believe there as well. Here's Dabo Sweeney. The first dominoes are falling. I think ultimately, you know, the more expansion you have, the more you're going to have super conferences and probably somewhere down the road. I don't know when it is. Is it five years? Is it ten years? But there probably will be some type of um, 
you know, 40, 50, 60 team league that kind of has, you know, their own commissioner or whatever and, and 12, 16 team playoff. I don't know. Um, that's probably ultimately where it's going, but, you know, right now it's just all about trying to get ready for Georgia uh, September 4th. I got my hands full. This is certainly very interesting times in which we live. Dabo says, I've got a lot to worry about right now when it comes to Clemson but he and playing Georgia in week one, but, but openly speculating about huge evolution of the sport still to come. David Pollock mentioning Clemson by name as the kind of team that it might eventually be attracted into the SEC in the aftermath of what Texas and Oklahoma are about to do, which could another step taken on that here today. What a fascinating time to be in college football. I don't love it all. I'm worried about much of it. But as a person that's entertained by this sport, I have to admit that the way this is playing out right now is actually pretty entertaining. And I'm like most of you, very curious to see what happens next. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, right there on the page of dognation.com there as well. Top of the page, you can watch the show each and every day. That has been a great success thus far. We appreciate you making it so. Of course, we appreciate our friends at Merriweather and Tharp for making it all possible. Your source for Georgia divorce, they're the ones who bring the show to you here today. And really, I, I love telling their story because... I think when people find themselves in the midst of challenging circumstances, the thing that makes challenging circumstances worse is a sense of loneliness, a sense of, well, I may be going through this on my own. There may not be anyone to help support me through all of this. And the divorce process can certainly be one of those events that could potentially leave you feeling that way. We all understand that, right? In an audience the size of ours, some of you, unfortunately, are faced and f- with dealing with this maybe even right now. So that's why I love telling people about Meriwether and Tharp, because they can help cure that feeling of loneliness. They can, they can help cure that feeling of powerlessness that you have no way to navigate this situation because they've been through this thousands of times before. This it may be your first time to go through this, but they've been through this thousands of times. And yes, certain things about your situation are specific to you, and I understand that, but the intricacies of the law and how they've applied in the past can certainly be helped to help you make sense of your situation there as well. So I can't tell you enough to check them out. Decide for yourself. Find out if what I'm saying truly is uh, true. You can find them online at atlantadivorceteam.com. You can see all the free resources they have there. You can set up that free initial consultation. Then after that, you can make the decision to put Meriwether and Tharp to work for you. Your source for Georgia divorce. You find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. They will take really good care of you. It's Terrence Edwards for us coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Can't wait to talk to Terrence today. A lot to get into with him, including a couple of very strange situations happening around college football before that though i do want to go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at serve pro and i want to talk about eric gilbert here for a moment and i want to get more into this with terrence edwards coming up here in just a little bit because obviously terrence knows the pass catching world of college football very well and you know clearly he knows gilbert's situation in particular and obviously we know gilbert since he's come to georgia has kind of been treated like a wide receiver he's for the most part i think on dog nation whether it be the written stories or here on our show he's been called a wide receiver there as well and i want to talk about that designation for gilbert here for a moment i apologize for not having the audio for you of this but i'm going to read you a quote this is from kirby smart at sec media days and i believe this was from a private meeting that smart had with some reporters prior to kind of the big appearance in the conference room and everything else so this is what smart says about gilbert in that meeting he says that he's a playmaker he's a guy who you need to get the ball in his hands he's worked out with the wide receiver group that's where he indicated he wanted to work and train at that's been a big part of what he wants to do we've got to find out if he can sustain which i think is a very interesting word if he's got the stamina at that position to play the position to play the x to play the z which are just 
you know, position designations for individual wide receiver spots to play the slot. We'll find out ways we can move him around. When you have a coordinator like Coach Munkin, that's what he does. When you're in the NFL, you've got guys all over. You've got Mike Evans over here. You've got people you've uh, got to move around. We know Eric Gilbert's going to be a big part of that. We also know that we've got other players in offense, and then he starts to mention tight ends. Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, John Fitzpatrick, where we'll get some good tight end use. Where each guy goes, I don't think it's set right now, but we're going to find that out over the next 27 to 28 practices. Now, I think that's really interesting, and I'm uh, hopeful that you do there as well. And the reason why I think that's uh, pretty interesting is because I think what you hear there from Smart is at least the possibility remaining open that quite possibly maybe Eric Gilbert still plays some tight end for Georgia this year. Now, I got to tell you, I certainly respect the idea that Gilbert wants to be a receiver, and I understand why he would. And certainly, I think he's got the kind of capabilities, the dynamic skill set that would allow him to be successful there. But I still think the best of Gilbert probably, and this is just my best guess, my speculation, maybe I'm wrong, but this is uh, my best guess here. I think the best of Gilbert probably still includes some play at the tight end position, some opportunity to line up there and take advantage and what are huge mismatches, take advantage of that opportunity that position could present for himself. Because when you see some of the stuff that Darnell Washington did a year ago against Missouri, against Cincinnati, it was that kind of thing, right? And I'm not saying I want to take Washington off the field at the expense of Eric Gilbert. I mean, there's obviously going to be some creative ways that maybe you can play all these guys together to say nothing of John Fitzpatrick or, uh, you know, even someone like Ryland Gody, who's I think back healthy again or you know obviously Brock Bowers who's a lot of folks are paying close attention to to say nothing of those other guys I still think in some form or fashion Gilbert being used somehow some way at the tight end spot I still think that creates incredible value for Georgia and I'm actually kind of curious to see if it does truly play itself out that way interesting stuff there it's around the doghouse it's presented by our friends at serve pro and listen what serve pro does is such an important thing you know you have damage right you know, sometimes that damage in your home created by you know fire or water intrusion or something like that well listen the restoration specialist at serve pro can help walk you through every step of this process to uh, kind of get you back on your feet and make your home literally like it never happened so if water damage strikes if fire uh you know damage strikes call on serve pro they can help you immediately and they'll literally make it be like it never happened so if you check out servepro.com you can find out more about that if you're listening radio and podcast it's s-e-r-v servepro.com restoration specialist for you when you have some sort of damage to your home prominently caused by water or fire that's what serve pro steps up and does for you today and they can do that for you uh, around the doghouse presented by serve pro here today we have a lot of very interesting stories to cover before our show is done i'm actually also going to give myself a little bit of credit for something maybe i gave some expert legal advice believe it or not on the show a few days ago i'll give you more details on that before we're done but for now on everything around georgia football and all the uh, fun to come for the upcoming season and the wildness that we're living through with conference expansion let's talk all of that with Terrence Edwards, the former great Georgia wide receiver, here right now on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thought. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So I'll say hello to Terrence Edwards and I'll bring him in on the conversation we were just having. And, you know, Terrence, I won't pretend to be an expert on this like you are, you know, and there's obviously a great chance my opinion is wrong, but. I was reading a quote a moment ago from Kirby Smart and kind of the interesting ways in which a guy like Eric Gilbert can be used. This is going back to last week at SEC Media Days. And Smart talks about the stamina needed to play one of those receiver positions full time or whatever else. And what I've said is, and I'm hopeful that you'll tell me if I am wrong on this. What I've said is, is that I think the best value for Gilbert, because he's such a unique skill set, 
I wouldn't mind still seeing him play some tight end. I wouldn't mind still seeing him exploit some of those mismatches the way that Darnell Washington did in a couple of games, especially near the end of last year. I have no question that Gilbert's talented enough to be a wide receiver, but a guy talented enough to be a wide receiver tearing things up for opposing defenses at the tight end spot, that seems like a pretty cool thing to me too. How about for someone like you who not only knows Gilbert but just knows the game of pass catching very well, what do you think about the possibility that maybe Gilbert could still be a tight end from time to time? Uh, I wouldn't mind it at all. Uh, I just long to he understands and the coaches understand that, you know, his predominant role is going to be on the outside. But I think if you give him some uh, opportunities to go down in the block and get some of those mixed masses in the box, um, as long as he's getting the ball and he knows he's not going to be there 100% of the time, I think he as a player, uh, would do anything to help the team. But his mindset is being a wide receiver sure. playing on the outside. I mean, when you think about some of the stuff that the smart coaches seem to do, and whether it be on NFL Sundays, you know, college football Saturdays, a lot of this is pre-snap, right? Whether it be motion or how you move guys around. And when Smart, talking about Gilbert last week, mentions a guy like Mike Evans, who obviously, you know, formerly Texas A&M, now the Tampa Bay Bucks. And you think about how you kind of slide those guys around before the play even begins, obviously looking for that mismatch to exploit. I would imagine if you're Eric Gilbert, something like that really kind of perks your ears up because – you know, it is about more than just going to the same spot every single time and hopefully you outrun somebody or hopefully you outleap somebody and, you know, get, you know, bring down a 50 50 ball. That a lot of what a good coach does, and Todd Munkin, I think, is on his way to proving that for Georgia, a lot of what a good coach does is put you in a position to succeed before the ball is even snapped, right? Right, most definitely. I think he gives a lot of versatility in your personnel grouping as well. Uh, so you don't have to bring another big body in to go down in the block. If, if Eric is, is versed enough and have picked up the offense enough that he can go down in the box and, and block for the run game, then also line up on the outside uh, when need be, uh, I think that it, that is a good thing that, you know, you don't have to change so many players on a on a, any given drive. He can go into the box and block. And he can go outside and run routes like a pre-route receiver. So uh, me personally, I would love to see him being able to be diverse in both ways and not just sticking itself at 240 pounds i'm a strictly wide receiver let's let's be versatile and and use your god given ability on the outside and also on the inside you and i talked last week right after we first heard about texas and oklahoma likely coming to the sec a lot has happened since then it seems like this is on the fast track now sooner rather than later they'll be in this league in fact the sec could extend an invitation here on this thursday when we're speaking right now and Terrence, one of the things I've said on the show is I'm actually really fascinated by how quickly the conversation has also pivoted to what's next. Your former teammate David Pollock saying, what about Clemson? Maybe the maybe Clemson should go to the SEC. And you hear about other schools kind of kicked around there as well. Do you get the sense that all of this is kind of leading to a world in which maybe the SEC is looking to grab big-name teams even beyond Oklahoma and Texas, and it really does become almost a NFL-style version of college football with the very best? all underneath the SEC umbrella? Is, is that where we're heading with all of this? Um, I wouldn't. I, I hope not. I, I, I truly hope not. I think the, the conference play is, is one of those unique things to college football, and um, I just love the ACC, the SEC. I just love having these conferences because once you become a true professional, whatever league you play, man, there's bragging rights to it. Uh, one of my good friends that I coach with at Pace Academy Justin Miller is, uh, you know, he's a Clemson, former Clemson All-American, and 
we always have this banter yeah. going back and forth about Clemson and the ACC and what we perceive the ACC to be and how, like, it, it, I just don't feel like having one big conference is the way to go. I mean, college football, why I love college football is for all the traditions that we amen. I don't want it to get to the NFL because that's not college football. And college football, in my mind, especially in the South, is king. I, right. I would take college football over any other sport. And I just want the, the traditions that have set for college football to stay. And, you know, think about your role there at Pace Academy, what you do with that great uh, high school program in Atlanta. You know, Pace is going to uh, produce players like Andrew Thomas or Jamari Salyer, and they've got their eye on the SEC. They've got their eye on coming to a place like Georgia. But there are also going to be guys who come through a program like that or a lot of the other programs around the metro Atlanta area where just getting that Division One offer, that, that, you know, Power 5 level offer is the kind of thing they've really dreamed about. And I think it's a really good thing those opportunities have existed for those players. And I guess one of the things that concerns me a little bit i'm not really quite sure what you do about this but it does concern me is as you see the powerful programs all align themselves together what happens to the slightly less powerful programs who are you know still you know funding themselves in their own right and have kind of existed to be an opportunity for players at the high school level who just want to play division one football who have that college football dream but without any kind of connection to the oklahomas the texases you know what happens to some of those programs who provided those division one opportunities to a lot of players who use that as leverage as a way of changing their life that's one of the things i worry about here is and you know this firsthand because of the guys that you work with is that college football is a change agent for a lot of the players who were lucky enough to get a chance to go play and be a part of it and boy i hope those same level of opportunities exist in the future and i can't be sure that they will right uh you know there's a lot of changes and those are the changes that i don't want to happen you know everyone i've always preached to the kids that i train and to the parents like everyone is not going to a power five school plenty of opportunities to go play football that's division one uh, so when this mega conference comes about and if that happens and to bring you one conference and I just don't see the good in college football for that. I, I just don't think college football has a unique uh, format that we use right now that's been in existence since I can remember, and it, it has worked. Yes, we could tweak some stuff here and now, but just to make every team – piling up in one conference to make a super conference. Yes, it's going to bring money. Yes, it's going to do all that. And at the end of the day, we all know it's about money for the people that's running these universities. But for the kid who's there, uh, there's plenty of the kids that won't have opportunity to play in those. What about them? What about those type kids? So yeah. I just love college football, and I just love what college football represents. I just hope we don't lose sight of that. So let me finish with this, and I'm honestly curious what you think about this, and I really have no way of predicting. I'm not sure you've seen the story, but Quinn Ewers is a terrific quarterback prospect out of the state of Texas on his way to Ohio State, and Yahoo uh, reported yesterday that Ewers is considering, strongly considering, in fact, you know, he's in his family openly quoted in the story, saying they're strongly considering leaving the state of Texas, not participating in what would be his final year of high school football, to go to Columbus, 
you know, enroll there early. He's going to be able to graduate, but he wouldn't participate in the senior year of high school, and he's going to start cashing in on his name, image, likeness opportunity because the Texas state law does not provide the chance to do that. Now, we should point out there have been guys that have skipped their senior season before. Jake Bentley, the former South Carolina quarterback, even, you know, uh, JT Daniels. So, it's you know, reclassifying is not necessarily a new thing. Tony Grimes did that, I, I guess, last year there as well. But reclassifying for the purpose of taking advantage of name, image, likeness money is a little bit of a different kind of thing what do you think about this terrence is this good for him for cashing in on his value or bad for him for missing out on what for a lot of people is a pretty special thing not only a chance to play your you know high school senior season but just go to prom and be a kid while you're still a teenager where do you come down on a guy like this basically trading his high school experience for money i'm all for the making money off your name image likeness world um of high school probably the, the best time i've ever had in my football my senior year in high school to graduate to win a state championship with the guys that i grew up with playing street football peewee football and just to give up that for money when i i just couldn't do it myself i i had a heck of a time as a senior uh, finishing off my career, as people may know, back-to-back state champs. Went going 30-0 my last two years in high school as a starting quarterback myself. And I would not have given that in the world. Uh, I just enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a time to reflect, the time to enjoy your youth, because once you step on that campus now, you're considered a, a young adult and now, Real-life situations going to occur. Parents won't be there to get you up at 5.30 to go do that morning run. So I just think we're rushing. Kids are rushing to to get that money that they are, are, are looking for. But as a senior year in high school, that was the best time of my life, and I would, know, I would not give that up for nothing. Terrence, I think that's a strong statement. I'm glad to have you make it here on this show. Really appreciate that. And that's the kind of passion you bring to the young men that you're working with on a regular basis there as well. Obviously, your personal coaching skills available to anybody who wants to be a better receiver, just a better pass catcher all the way around. So for someone who wants to find out more about that, how can they get in touch with you? All social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. Thanks for your time. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think this is really fascinating, and we'll talk more about it in a moment. Before that, I want to remind you about my friends at the Finish Long Drink, and so many of you have been saying, yeah, B.A., you're right. I'm actually really enjoying this. And it's a great time to talk Finish Long Drink because if you don't know the backstory of the Finish Long Drink, it actually started in Finland. That's why it's called the Finish Long Drink. Uh, it actually started in Finland going back to like the 1950s when the summer games were in Helsinki. So we've got you know summer games going on right now, so kind of a nice tie-in related to all of that. But that's the way it first got started as a celebration of all the fun that folks were having there in Finland because of that. And it's actually been in the United States, I want to say since 2018, I think it came over to like New York City. And, you know, now it's all around the state of Georgia. And there are four different varieties that you can choose from. The Long Drink Strong, a lot of you like that. It's the Black Can. I get a lot of pictures from y'all enjoying that Long Drink Strong in the Black Can. Eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Uh, the Long Drink Cranberry, which I know has been super popular. Other bars are in Athens. I uh, can't keep that in stock. They're just selling so much of that. A lot of students are really enjoy that a lot of young folks uh kind of like that i like the long drink original the the one the traditional the one that's in like the blue can 
And if you're saying, well, what is it, BA? It kind of looks like a beer, but it's not a beer. This is a ready-to-drink cocktail that comes right out of the can. You can pop the top, drink it. You can pour it into a glass, whatever else. But there's no mixing. There's no work. There's no effort. It's just something enjoyable. Kind of a citrus soda with a gin kick. It, it's great. I mean, it's really, really enjoyable, especially this time of year. I mean, it's like 100 degrees out there today. You better believe a nice, cold, refreshing cocktail is great. So check out thelongdrink.com, and you can have yourself a good time here as we head towards the start of the season. As we head towards Dog Nation Invasion, by the way, uh, you better believe the long drink going to be a big part of that there as well. So a moment ago, I'm talking to Terrence Edwards about Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback on his way to Ohio State. It's very interesting to hear Terrence's strong statement on that. And I have to say, I very much agree with this there as well. And, you know, Pete Thamel writes this for Yahoo Sports. And the basic gist of the story is, is that Texas won't allow high school players to cash in on name image likeness revenue. So Ewers going to leave his school. And it's like, you know, one of the bigger schools, uh, uh, you know, in in Texas, like one of the power programs there. So this is a pretty big deal for him to leave that program to go on. But he wants to cash in on his name image and likeness. And what Thamel writes is is that that uh, Ewers has a chance to make upwards of a million dollars. There's no verifiable proof whatsoever that that amount is accurate. The same thing with the Bryce Young thing the other day, and that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about. And listen, I'm not trying to be like like I'm I'm clearly not a journalist. That's not my background. That's not what I do. But as a consumer of news, just what drives me crazy when a guy like Thamel writes a story like this, it isn't exclusive. He's the only one who had it. And it almost seems like the trade-off for getting the score story is to treat the details of the story with like absolutely zero skepticism. Otherwise, if you showed any skepticism whatsoever, it's like you don't get the exclusive to do the story, which kind of frustrates me a little bit. Like the only company that gets mentioned in this story as being willing to pay viewers anything whatsoever is like this. I don't even know. It's like a probiotic or energy drink type thing, whatever else. I looked them up online. They have fewer social media followers than I do. So that company's not paying Quinn Ewers a million dollars. They don't have a million dollars to toss around here. And as far as getting some sort of equity stake in the company, if, if that's based on some sort of Mickey Mouse you know, valuation here, then I think that's pretty specious in and of itself. And I'm glad to hear Terrence said what he said a minute ago that I am totally against the idea of a high school kid, you know, thinking more about name image likeness than he's thinking about his own senior season. And listen, that's not to say I'm not free market or anything like that. I mean, the fact of the matter is I just see people as more than just a vessel for their economic potential. And you better believe as a father of children, I wouldn't sell one of my years to be the leading influence of my child's life for a million dollars i just wouldn't do it and even i don't think when you were getting a million dollars but even if he was it wouldn't be worth it to me to sell one of those years to somebody else to have him not living or her not living under my roof anymore to go live somewhere else i just think the formative years of a child which is what you still is i just think the formative years of a child are truly that important just simply you know would not do it and so maybe this is the direction we're going but man, and by the way, to say nothing of the fact that the one year you're trading here is the senior year. As Darren said, it was the most enjoyable thing he ever did, winning a state championship, just going to prom, being a kid before you have to be, you know, uh, you know, someone who's on a much bigger platform, much bigger stage. I just think the whole thing is really weird. And, and obviously, Ewers wouldn't be the first guy to reclassify. That's happened a lot more. 
But it sounds like Ewers wouldn't even be considering that kind of reclassification because the truth is Ohio State's already really deep at quarterback. It sounds like Ewers wouldn't even be considering that reclassification if it wasn't for that chance to cash in on name, image, likeness that he says or somebody says is going to be seven figures. A, that figure I believe is erroneous. I don't think that's going to end up being true. And B, if Ewers makes this decision, I think he's eventually going to regret it. There are just some things in life worth more than money. This is an example of that, especially for a family that by their own admission doesn't really need the money. They have said that in that same story with Yahoo Sports. But that is the world that we kind of live in here today. A couple other things here real quick. I saw this very interesting from Ed Orcheron yesterday, who basically is like speaking at a Booster Club event. And he's essentially challenging his boosters to go out and pay LSU players. Like uh, really just kind of, you know, very aggressively saying, hey, you know, you guys have been wanting to do this forever. Time is now to go out there and do that. Um it is really interesting how aggressive I would say that LSU in particular is trying to be with name, image, and likeness. Now, how well it's going to work, I'm not quite so sure. You know, one difference between LSU and, say, for Georgia, for instance, is, you know, Georgia's not allowing its players to use the trademark UGA logos in any of their advertisements, where LSU has said it's okay to do that. I don't care. You know, Georgia's not backing off that stance. Most college programs want won't. But that is something that uh, LSU is kind of, you know, willing to do right there. And, you know, in this particular case, basically deputizing the booster to go out and find some money for the players. It's the kind of thing you'd almost expect Ed Orgeron to say. And in this case, he's very much on brand with how he's you know saying what he's saying there. These are fascinating times, and uh, Ed Orgeron is the maybe the latest example of that. All right, we'll kind of make that your SEC through for a moment. I want to talk more about this SEC expansion thing. I'll also remind you that coming up in a couple of minutes before we wrap things up, we'll have our latest Kroger Five Star Kid winner to uh, give away here. We've got a big announcement coming up on that here in just a moment. Can't wait to be able to do that. Before that, though, there is new developments in the it's now beyond likely expansion of Texas and Oklahoma. It's just as of yet being weighted to uh, become a formality. Uh, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma have notified the Big 12 they are leaving. The SEC expected today to extend that invitation to them, and then the dominoes are going to keep falling after that. But yesterday was a very interesting day for the league that the Big 12, that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving, the Big 12. And you saw Bob Bowlesby, the league commissioner, come out swinging against ESPN, accusing ESPN of trying to essentially poach other teams besides Texas and Oklahoma from the uh, Big 12, push them into the American Athletic Conference, and basically dissolve the Big 12 as a way of, you know, almost eliminating any kind of, you know, like rights fee obligation or buyout fee obligation or, you know, whatever else. I mean, Bowlesby was as accusatory of ESPN as you could possibly ever be. Now, I'm going to uh, give myself a little bit of credit here for a moment because a week ago I gave some fairly half-baked legal opinion here on this show. As it turns out, I may have been 100% accurate what I said, even though I had zero idea of what I was talking about. Let me give you a taste. This is from exactly a week ago on Thursday's show. Now, I want you to listen to this here very quickly for a moment. Again, yes, I'm being a little bit of a blowhard by patting myself on the back for this. I totally acknowledge that. But listen to like the very specific, like Latin type sounding phrase I use. Um, I sound very smart with what I'm about to say here, and I got to give myself a little bit of credit. Here is me and my expert legal advice from exactly one week ago. Listen to this. 
you know the movie the insider about the whistleblower for the tobacco company that goes on 60 minutes and there was all this fear that the tobacco companies were going to sue 60 minutes and the concept of tortious interference came up about you know interfering with what is a you know signed contract you know there's i guess also a little bit of concern here that you know listen if you get in there and start messing too much with all of this and cause these teams to leave the big 12 and kind of invalidating a contract that was in place there's some potential legal ramifications for all that I mean, listen, how smart does that guy sound? Tortious interference? That's very Latin-like. I mean, that's the like that's what you would like pay Jeffrey Tubin to do on CNN. By the way, I'm also better behaved on uh, Zoom calls as well. Like, I'm giving you like Tubin-level legalese-type jargon there. Well, lo and behold, I want to read this tweet from you. This is Ross Dellinger, respected reporter yesterday on the Bob Bowlesby quote. Bowlesby, of course, the Big 12 commissioner. This is Ross Dellinger on Twitter. He says... Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby tells Sports Illustrated that he has documented evidence that ESPN tried to encourage an unnamed conference to add Big 12 members in an effort to destabilize the league so Texas and Oklahoma could avoid exit fees. Bob Bowlesby says, it's tortious interference. This is amazing. And I should get credit for this, although I won't. On the basis of a movie that I first saw like 20 years ago, in which this was like a plot point, I said, well, it's probably going to end up being tortious interference for the SEC or or for ESPN. And that's exactly what Bob Bowlesby is claiming. I have no idea, you know, if this is going to go anywhere or not, but uh, at least give me a little bit of credit for, I'm going to use air quotes here, a little bit of expert media advice. I mean, Connor, I got to get a little credit for this, right? Congrats. You use the same sort of legal thinking as the guy who's getting his conference rated for his best teams. But still, I mean, like, like I feel like my level of punditry has just gone up, right? I mean, it's like I could be a cable TV talking head with that kind of expert advice. So is ESPN or local radio stations trying to book you as legal expert on conference realignment? Actually, that's a really good point. So I know we have a lot of, you know, media type moguls who listen to watch this show. If you want me to make an appearance in fact i won't even give you the full going rate on my name image likeness call me a legal expert i'll come on there and i'll explain how all of this is going to play out next so as i said before i fully acknowledge that's a little blowhardy but i gotta give myself a little bit of credit because in this particular case uh i fairly well got this one on the head all right real quickly before we get ready to wrap up here today let me also uh, give a shout out to our kroger five-star kid winner such a uh, great thing we've been able to do kroger obviously said it you know stepping up in a huge way to uh, support these kids we're celebrating how about a great win today for barrett Kreider uh, on being chosen at our five-star kid winner today adopted at birth born with, with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder and this is obviously an amazing thing to overcome uh, of course permanent brain damage can be caused for that uh, but that hasn't slowed barrett down one bit uh very likable kid parents describe him as uh you know sweet to everybody um also barrett very fast runner there as well you see the uh, metal hanging around uh, his neck there he placed uh in the a long jump 100 meter 200 meter uh, at, at his events and he's going to be going to Jacksonville very soon to represent his uh, tre- team there at nationals so that's incredible we wish Barrett the best of luck on that and we certainly congratulate Barrett today for being our Kroger five-star kid winner incredible incredible news there great package of gift cards on the way to him and we've got another winner to give tomorrow huge thanks to Kroger for making all of that possible all right, as we wrap up the show today, our Gatorade roll call, and of course, we give out a golden shoe winner. And the one thing that my bias is well established on is, in addition to Gator hating and everything else, it's one of the, this is sort of like a the the bias inception, the bias within the bias. That not only do we love celebrating uh, Gator hating around here, we also like people who use Star Wars memes for their golden shoe submissions. That typically gets you to the front of the line here because we are big Star Wars fans around here. I liked this one, uh, pretty funny stuff from Daniel Jones. 
who kind of gives you an Anakin Skywalker thing from Star Wars saying, Texas, Oklahoma, shouldn't join the SEC. We aren't uh, geographically located in the Big 12. But then you've got Palpatine saying, uh, SEC, do it. And then uh, Anakin strikes down Count Dooku with the uh, lightsaber there. Pretty good stuff all the way around from Daniel Jones. Very clever. Good golden shoe winner for today. How about our Gator Hater Countdown? Just 93 days from right now. That number doesn't seem so big anymore. Uh, Getting closer. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, where you take your comments, both those who send them on Twitter and, of course, at dognation.com there as well. I've got an interesting tweet I want to read here. This came from Kent Oliver, who writes in about our recent comments on the show about need for more all-SEC-type performers. Got me wondering how this year compares to the 2017 preseason selections. He says, a little surprised to see that the the postseason selections weren't much different. So if you look at the list that he shares from 2017, and there's a little bit of backstory in this, what we've been saying is, is that right now it sort of seems like that maybe not enough Georgia players are being projected for great seasons to really feel confident that Georgia – is going to break through the championship level. And what we've said in response to that is, doesn't mean that it's not going to happen for UGA. It just means that there are a few players for Georgia who need to have unexpectedly good seasons for that to be the case. And by unexpected, I mean the literal definition, just playing better than they were expected to play. And so you go back and look at the previous, you know, really great season under Kirby Smart at Georgia in 2017. And what the commenter Kent points out is, let's look at those preseason first team all sec selections for that particular year you see a couple of georgia guys in the preseason list nick chubb you see isaac nauta was also preseason first team all sec tight end and on the defensive side of things uh the only georgia name there on the first team actually there are two georgia names there on the first team it's trent thompson and it's roquan smith now if you compare that to the end of season team nick chubb was projected preseason and he ended up being on the postseason team there as well his preseason projection turned out to be right he was a first team all sec running back nada who was projected as the preseason running back sorry nada who was projected as the preseason first team tight end ended up not being the case the uh, first team all sec tight end for that particular year was uh, hayden hurst from south carolina uh the guy who was not projected to be a first team guy for georgia in the preseason who ended up being one was isaiah Wynn. Wynn had a great season that year anchored a georgia offensive line it was way better in 2017 than it had been in 2016 and he got first team all sec nod because of that on the defensive side of the ball obviously roquan was um projected as a first team guy ended up being that uh, uh trent thompson did not get first team all sec nod there so that's a preseason projection ended up not being true so on the basis of this that seems like fewer guys on that first team level performance for georgia than seems to be currently required and i'd say the sport has changed a pretty good bit i'd also say this that georgia was able to get away in 2017 without a ton of first team all sec type guys because roquan smith essentially played as well as almost multiple first team guys right i mean his level of performance in winning a buckus award you know for georgia that year becoming a top 10 draft pick that year was so significant that maybe he made up for kind of some lack of superstar type stuff going you know in some of the other spots the georgia defense obviously phenomenal in 2017 but from an individual standpoint roquan led the way to such a large degree that maybe he gave cover to some lack of elite depth at maybe some other places there and i think it's also fair to point out just how different the sport looks now in 2021 
than it did back in 2017. If you go back to 2017, Georgia was, what, uh, third in the SEC in scoring that year at 35.4 points per game. Um, the lead scoring team in the SEC that year, Missouri was first. Alabama was essentially within a couple of tenths of a point per game different. They were just at 37 points per game. Uh, so the, in the SEC in 2017, the leading scoring teams in the conference only averaged 37 points a game. If you fast forward to this past year, um, what would have led the SEC in scoring in 2017 would have only been good enough for fourth best in the league uh, back in 2020. That you had you know, the leading scoring team in the SEC last year averaged more than 10 points per game more than the top teams averaged in 2017. And in 2019, the last full season we had in the SEC, both LSU and Alabama averaged 47 or more points a game. Once again, about 10 points per game more than what the leading scoring teams were doing way back in 2017. So what we've seen is, is this acceleration of performance for the elite teams the last couple of years. That's measured out in statistics, how many points per game they're scoring and what it takes to stop those offenses when you play them. And that's why I think the game may have veered into a little bit more of a, I don't want to say it's a superstars game. Now that's that's stating this more bluntly than I want to, but the need for big time individual performances, I think has increased since Georgia last made the college football playoff in 2017 because of the way the very top offensive exploded. If you've got offenses performing the way that Alabama has the last couple of years, how and really the last three years for Alabama, how LSU performed in 2019, if you've got those kinds of offenses being led by the kind of dynamic playmakers who are producing all of that, then you better have your own edge rusher to counterbalance against that. You better have your own Roquan Smith style inside linebacker. Kevin White was also one of those players eventually for LSU, but you better have that style of player in the on the field somewhere Derek Stingley as a lockdown cornerback who's played like a superstar before you better have your own version of those defensive superstars to counterbalance the offensive playmaking superstars that seem to be taking over this sport on the other side there and that's obviously what I think this upcoming season for George is about the commenter is correct in saying that you know when you look overall at what the preseason list for the all sec said in 2017 how the postseason list kind of mirrored that you do see some i think some interesting takeaways from that but one of the things that i take from that is a little bit about how the sport has changed so kent great comment appreciate you sharing that on twitter and for the, all of you for being a part of our rs andrews podcast cool down i really appreciate that there as well uh check out rs andrews online for your air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs and Please have a great day today, and I'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. I'll look forward to talking to you then.